ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to our first ever Thriller After Dark. Today we have Vlad Hostea. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I'm sorry, Vlad. I know you pushed me on your last name, and one day I'll get it. it Thanks for coming on the show. I had John Carvalho on my show on the podcast, which I'm about to release next week. And I called him Carvalho because it's C-R-L-V-H-O. But it's supposed to be pronounced as Carvalho. And he told me after the show. And I was very upset because I didn't know that. So it happens. Yeah, I'm sorry. Don't worry. It's (laughs) part of being European, I guess. And not coming or not having origins from a country which is English speaking. So this is bound to happen. Yeah. I love your first name though, Vlad. It has a nice solid like ring to it. It's very, very strong. It has one syllable and it actually means strong. Does it really? Oh wow. It feels strong. I love it. It comes from old Slavic and Volod in the old Russian meant power. And Vlad mm-hmm. means something like a prince or ruler of the land or something. Nice. But let's talk crypto. That, that's why we're here, right? Yeah, let's talk crypto. Their way of calling stuff out, right? Um, uh, when, when I look to crypto uh, uh, websites and, and, and journalists, you guys do a really good job of investigating this stuff like you did on this one. Um, there's really great articles. That are, you guys are just covering there at Crypto Insider. And uh, your work is phenomenal, but keep oh, it up. thank you. Uh, I try. That's what I get paid for. I guess we yeah, should all try to do well in our jobs. Yeah. And one quick point. I will say that podcasts, for me, that I've come to realize, a, a lot of people listen to podcasts. And the, the type of demo that you get for, for podcasts, uh, people... You know, they, they say that people that listen to podcasts tend to have college degrees or are professionals in the, in the workspace and, um, or they, they, spend, they make this amount of money. There's all these statistics for them. Right? None of that matters, right? But you actually spread the message better through podcasts. And when that reaches, and I've seen it happen multiple times uh, with, with our podcast, we start covering something that no one's talking about. Um, another podcast picks it up. A bigger podcast picks it up, uh, and then that reaches, you know, uh, crypto YouTube, or or that use, or that reaches, uh, you know, or it's informed by y'all, the journalists, um, podcast. I like I, I take so much information from journalists on a, on a daily basis when it comes to you know presenting the news or presenting any stuff whatsoever. I'm always reading up on every single website and trying to learn as much as I can uh, in the brief amount of time I have before I air. And I feel like it's our job, it's our duty to do this because no one's going to talk about it. I feel like crypto YouTube is just a reverberation of itself. If you go on there, a lot of them just talk about themselves uh, or they talk about stuff that every, everybody else is talking about. It's very reverbish. Like every, no one's, there's nothing new, you know, that's going on there. Every once in a while, somebody will surprise you and deliver something new. And those are the people that I really enjoy because they're actually bringing something new to life. But for the most part, crypto YouTube just, it's a reverberation. They're all talking about the same things. Uh, crypto Twitter, meme central, right? Um, uh, crypto Reddit. It's 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 a 
so hard <laughs> to, but if you can find some good stuff there, but it's so hard to like get, get your point across, but stuff can be, can be examined there and, and good stuff can come out of there. But most of the time it's very hostile. Right. But I will say for certain that if, if, if it starts with us, like if we don't start talking about this, other people in the space won't talk about it. Crypto Twitter won't make those memes. <laughs> like you have to police the space yourself. You have to do your due diligence and just do what's right. I don't know. I'm going to get off my soapbox, but that's just how I feel. <laughs> what do you think, Vlad? Uh, I think the best way to police the crypto space is to remind people about the core values of Bitcoin and tell them what it's all about. As it, it's not just the speculative aspect that some people see when they trade and they say this hasn't gone up more than 5% in the last week, so I'm not going to invest in it. That's not a wrong perspective, perspective to have in hindsight. Maybe that it's healthy for people who trade to think about it in these terms. And it's helpful for the industry at large to have traders. They bring money and they are the ones who actually ensure that there is a volume which gets traded on a daily basis. So they are useful. But Bitcoin is all about decentralization, being sovereign on your own funds, having the freedom to run your own node and participate in the network. Right. A lot of people are not aware, but when you run a node, you actually have voting power. So whenever somebody tries to impose new rules on the network, and I guess the most dangerous consensus change can be about the 21 million supply. And some people have actually run analysis and very extensive mathematic hypothesis and they figured out that miners are actually better off with a larger supply and fewer halvings of the supply. So if somebody actually changed to make it maybe 40 million bitcoins, there would be much more profitability for the miners and it's in their best interest to try to change the rules. But when you run a node, you're actually countering any maneuver by a miner to do that. And you're disincentivizing people from trying to launch attacks. The more nodes you have, the more consensus you're right. going to have about the fixed supply and the block size and all the other rules. So in a sense, that's one of the values of Bitcoin. And then there's the idea that it's immutable and it's unconfiscatable. There is no central authority to tell you where to store it, what to do with it. Nobody can take it away from you. That's just the beauty of being in charge of your own money. And if you I want know, to I, I, participate I, I, in the mining <laughs> process, you can just do it. You just buy a mining yeah. rig and you do it. Maybe you're not going to be as successful as people who do it on the industrial scale. But it's still possible. Whereas in ERC-20 tokens or in Proof-of-Stake, it's all about just being a participant. And in some Proof-of-Stake systems, you get coins according to how much you already own. And that's also going to be Ethereum 2.0. So it's in a sense an oligarchy where the richer people only get richer. 
Whereas in Bitcoin, it's always about the system of changing elites to mine the coin and maybe run out of business, just like Bitmain is doing right now. They're doing very poorly. They're having a bad performance. They're, and miners are not selling like they used to. So they're going to leave much more space for other companies to step in and do the same kind of work. Or maybe that one day we will all end up having our own mining rigs in our homes. And that's going to be the ultimate level of decentralization. It's really interesting. And when China bans mining, they're going to see how the mining rigs get moved. And then you have the Blockstream satellite, which allows anyone to synchronize the blockchain without the internet connection with just a mesh antenna and a laptop. And that's also a way to actually participate in the consensus and potentially do mining in places which have no internet access, like in the middle of the desert. So there's a lot going on. When you think of other projects, you don't have this kind of investment. You don't have the same smart developers who even think about short radio waves using these small antennas or radio transmitters to relay information about the blockchain so it can synchronize without any restrictions for governments. Because in the Cold War, you had short radio waves which were sent across borders by countries to bypass all the Cold War protocols and restrictions and send messages across, like in the Soviet Union. And that's very brilliant. When you, you think about nowadays about the Chinese firewall, that can be bypassed by radio waves which can be intercepted, they can be distorted but the nature of the signal cannot be changed, and that's essential. And those are just a few of the qualities that Bitcoin has and no other project is going to have anytime soon. So if you think about all these ideas, maybe that you should not invest in something else and you should be skeptical about the five-year or the 10-year prospect of any other project, Maybe I'm not a financial advisor. Yeah, um, all all great points. You know, Bitcoin. Bitcoin to me, uh, I I I really believe it can change the world, and it's it's one of those things that when you discover about it, when you learn about it, you really understand that. Uh, there's no one that's in control of just the entire network of it. Like, I feel like I feel like I feel like these days. I mean, if you look at the dollar, for Christ's sakes, like we're at like twenty trillion dollars. The dollar is a global reserve currency. At that, at some point, that's gonna just blow up in everybody's faces. There is no other exit but Bitcoin. Like. I'm not a person that um, agrees with. Uh, I, I, I'm a person who believes in using Bitcoin and purchasing it with fiat, and either you know giving it away to somebody or outright paying with it in any way I can, 
there's absolutely no way would I ever sell Bitcoin for fiat. I'm just not going to do that. Like, and I, I think it, it took me, it didn't take me that long to discover like the possibilities that were with Bitcoin and just participating in the, in the network itself and transacting on it. I think people lose sight of it being an actual crypto or currency. They try to use it as a store of value and that's cool to each their own. You get whatever you want out of Bitcoin, but I think the killer feature of it all is it's the only decentralized currency in the entire world that we all view as having value. I mean, and it has its own payment rail, like, and it's going to get better with time. And it doesn't make any sense for you not to throw fiat into Bitcoin because that fiat's going to be worthless when everything breaks. I don't know. Maybe I'm a doom and gloomer, but I just, I'm just a big believer in Bitcoin being another currency in the world that people will just use. Like, uh, it'll probably take years, or it'll, it'll probably take a product as as big as the iPhone. But we'll need that that we'll need that singular product for the crypto space. It'll come. Uh, it'll probably take that type of product for the crypto space, or for Bitcoin, or for whatever currency. But it, it's going to happen. And when that happens, like it's people aren't going to not use cryptocurrencies. Like they're, they're going to use them. Like this is how the future is. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm just bullish on cryptocurrency just in general. Uh, I'm a fan of the technology. Don't, don't get me wrong. Like I love looking at every project and diving into it and learning about it and seeing all the cool stuff that it's going to do or has potential to do. But when it comes to Bitcoin, that one just has my heart. Like it, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing, in my mind, that comes close to uh, a currency like Bitcoin, like at all. Um, yeah, you can use Ethereum, you can use Litecoin, and other stuff for, for for payments and stuff like that, and it's great for for stuff like that or for transferring. Uh, you know, I, I, like today we just gave out some Litecoin uh, on our show just to give it out. Um, but it, it's Bitcoin is one I give that out too. But Bitcoin is one that I'm like. I'd, I'd much rather pay with it than get, turn it back to fiat. I just don't see the point of it. But wow. I, I know people like to become, you know, they want to see that Bitcoin go to 20,000 or whatever, and then they want to they sell it for fiat. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. Why would you sell it for, for fiat? Like, go out and use it uh, with that, that value priced in. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm just naive, I guess. I don't know. I was actually having this conversation on Twitter with Peter Todd, who is a developer for Bitcoin Core, and he's a very yeah. brilliant person. And he said at one point that he believes that we need cash. And I agree with him in the sense that you need the kind of money which is fungible and is private. If the two of us exchange a dollar bill, nobody's going to know where it went. Yeah. And what happened to it? Well, with Bitcoin at this point, before any kind of privacy upgrades, <clears throat> you don't have any kind of privacy at all. You can actually check on the blockchain and see every transaction. And the best you can do is use Wasabi Wallet to merge your coins and they appear in a stacked number of transactions which are hard to trace. So this is just an obfuscation which is temporary. Yeah. At this point, it's not fungible. And 
up to the point when we can have the privacy which allows us to not distinguish between the coins which were minted last week and the ones which were used on the Silk Road, then we're not going to really have a valuable or a functional Bitcoin in the true sense that it's ready for the real world. And up to that point, at least up to that point, we need fiat money and we need cash. Because with credit cards, it's so easy to check every transaction and the banks have absolute control over how you use it and how much you withdraw from your account. And they have daily limits of how much you can withdraw. And sometimes they ask you to fill in forms and explain why you want to take away money from your account because it makes no sense to them. Why would you want to take cash when you can just pay with your credit card anywhere? But that's a slippery slope with the cashless society or what they call it. And I agreed with Peter Todd that Bitcoin is much more like the kind of collectible, which is scarce and valuable and cannot be confiscated. And it exists on the internet just because cryptography allows it to not be confiscated. And if it was a physical product, it would get seized by governments and confiscated and we would not be able to have this. So this didn't happen until the internet age and the age when cryptography got developed just because we did not have the means. But it doesn't mean at the same time that we are witnessing another product which tries to bring the dream of banks of removing cash and replacing it with electronic transactions. Bitcoin is not really electronic cash, even though it says in the white paper, electronic cash system. It's much more of a valuable asset, which is much more akin to gold and works more as a commodity at this point. And with the Lightning Network, which is more private than the main chain, you're going to have quicker and cheaper transactions, even at the micro level. So the bottom line of all this long argument is that we actually need cash and not Bitcoin cash, but Bitcoin needs cash. (laughs) Yeah. No, yeah, I just, uh, you know, call me a spook or whatever, or a tinfoil hat, but I just, I just don't think cash, uh, are you talking, when you say cash, are you talking about like US dollar or are you just talking about any type of cash? Any type of cash, which is not oh, okay. highly inflationary and for yeah. which you can do exchanges, like you meet somebody and you say, I'm going to give you one Bitcoin and you're going to give me in cash the equivalent, $3,500. And you're going to agree, and this is a fair exchange. So this is better than going to exchanges and taking money away because you expose your personal data. You go through that whole KYC AML process. And even if you're not a bad actor, you want some privacy. You don't want everyone to know what you're doing. You don't want the bank to have a complete record of your activity. That's actually Orwellian. And when you demand for privacy, you actually care about the freedom of our society. 
I think there's yeah. so much more at stake than maybe the $10 that you spend on something which you find shameful. Like, you know, a porn subscription or something. You, you pay for <laughs> one month of membership on, well, tell me a name of a porn site, Razors or uh, something. I can't think of anything. <laughs> yeah, you can't think yeah. of one. I, I, I can't think of one off the top of my head. But uh, you want to pay for that. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And you want privacy. And that's a fundamental human right, theoretically. But the credit card company can actually track down and see to which company you sent the money. Yeah. That's dangerous for our democracies and for our political systems. As we're going to get to the point where, actually, I think we got to that point where banks are extensions of the state and they provide full documentation about you and what you do oh, on request. Yeah. Yeah, 100% they do that. So if they yeah. want to extend that and make it even more authoritative and controlling, they can actually check every transaction and make sure they, they can use any kind of argument like to avoid terrorist funding. They are going to use this. The public is going to eat it up and say, we are doing this for our own protection because the times are so dangerous and we want to be protected. And that's a slippery slope in itself. As the state turns us into potential criminals, instead of actually looking for the exception within this large group, they turn us all into potential criminals. And to me, that, that's not something, that's not the kind of world that I want to live in. And I don't think life is worth living in a place where you cannot have any kind of privacy. And that's also one of the reasons why we need cash, because that's from where I started. Because cash is not tracked. It doesn't leave marks. Maybe it leaves like fingerprints at most. Other than that, you're not, you're not sure if the dollar bill in your pocket was owned by Pablo Escobar at some point that there is no way for you to know that and there is no way the, go the government actually cares. It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I want privacy. Uh, you know, I, I think privacy is important. I just think at this point, um, uh, you just got to realize that you're already being tracked, right? So even if you wanted to, um, you know, avoid getting hacked or, or, um, or e even trying to like hide your identity or your real identity or something like that. Um, no, if people can find out who you are, they can find out your, where you live. They you can do all these things. Uh, the government can do it right now if they wanted to. Right. Um, but I, I think I ultimately think that the more we, more we move into this kind of, Aurel how do you say that? Aurelian? Aurel how do you say that guy's last name? Orwell. Orwell so it's Orwellian. Aurelian. I have trouble pronouncing stuff. Um, so when you go into that kind of future, I feel like, I mean, you're battling a behemoth, right? Um, it, it's almost you're being forced to live in public. And that's good and bad because you, you, 
get rid of people from being pieces of shit, <laughs> right? And, and to to each other, and maybe the world becomes better. But at the same time, you're you're ruled by a government that wants to make you even less, more stupid, and even more misinformed, and you know. So that goes on, um, or you can battle them and uh, ultimately uh, fight every day to keep your privacy. Man, I hope in the future there's somewhere in between, right, where we could have some things be private and some things be public. But at this point, like, who knows, man? It, it's definitely something. I do believe in privacy. I think that we should fight for it. But I also see the other side. I'm kind of torn. I don't know. But this is this is my state of mind these days when it comes to everything. I, I see two. I t- see two sides, and I'm almost caught in the middle to where I just don't even want to pick a side because I'm like. Well, how do we know which side's going to win? But I want to play both sides because I see both sides being uh, important in the future. Or maybe one side has one thing that's great about it, the other side doesn't. And yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm the only person that thinks like that. But yeah, that's kind of my logic behind it, unfortunately. I come from a country which used to be totalitarian until 30 years ago. We had a dictator, we had a system which was, they call it communist. It wasn't in, you know, the theoretical sense. When you read Karl Marx, it was not really like that. But it it was terrible for personal freedom. And if you just said a joke against the dictator, you could just be taken away to a forced labor camp. Where is that at, I, I'm Roma- I'm Romanian, so oh, okay. the country is called Romania. We were not part of the USSR, which means that we had some kind of autonomy. But at the same time, when uh, a decision was made in Russia about something in Moscow, more precisely, we had to follow the orders. And there was only one instance when we didn't follow and that that was pretty bad for the country in hindsight, and we have lost some some economic means to actually support our day-to-day trades. It, it was in 1968 when USSR invaded Czechoslovakia, and we refused to actually participate with army. And anyway, I, I diverged too much. I got sidetracked by the idea, but... It's terrible to live in a world where the government is almighty and knows everything about you. And the American system that you live in was built on the idea of power controls power. It's all about checks and balances. I know that James Madison was obsessed with the idea and he did not like the British monarchy and the parliamentary system. And that's one of the reasons why you have the president who is held accountable by the Congress. You have these these checks and balances which are supposed to constantly create conflict. And when conflict is present, then you know you're not going to have any kind of dictatorship. You're going to have this balance which keeps the society moving forward. And you can never really control The more you control, the more you're going to become, the more unpopular you're going to become. And it's all cyclic. It has worked for you for over 200 years. 
it has influenced the rest of the world. You have no idea how many countries are emulating a similar system. But at the same time with the internet and everything that goes on electronically, they have the means to store everything about you. And you have many potential bad actors who may not be governmental. Maybe you can assume that you have the secret services and they work in your benefit and do the best to make sure that you're safe. But that's just an assumption. You can never be sure what they actually yeah. do. Yeah. But you, you never know how many intermediaries are in, in this process. And if the people who actually are employed by the government to take care of you are honest about it, how, how can you actually check? How can you actually be yeah. sure that you're not having your data mishandled? Or if you try to run for president in, say, 20 years, oh. you're going yeah. to get blackmailed with the shit you said on the internet. We are a whole <laughs> generation yeah. which gets exposed to this huge risk. Yeah. And I may be like an angel on the internet and say all the popular stuff and never yeah. get into fights, but they can actually access my microphone when it's not turned yeah. on and they can listen to me during my moments when I'm alone or they can check my webcam and see what I'm doing in my room. They can access my phone. They have complete control over my remote means of communication. And that's why we had the cypherpunk movement in the 1980s in the United States with people who basically said that privacy is supreme and it's much more important to have your data private than to be compliant with the laws. That's why there were punks, but they like cryptography and that's what made them cipher. And through their work, we got inventions like end-to-end -end encryptions and that's why when you send a message in Signal or WhatsApp, theoretically speaking, unless somebody else has the key for your conversation, there is no way somebody can actually intercept your communication. And you can be sure that no bad actors are involved. And then you had people like Julian Assange or Assange, I'm not sure how you call him who for a number of years has been running WikiLeaks and has been exposing governments of the world in their attempts to be abusive. Yeah. And then you had people like David Chom, who invented, invented DigiCash, and it was the first attempt to actually create a system of digital cash which was encrypted. And then all the series of cypherpunks like Adam Back, who invented Proof of Work, as a way of using computing power to prevent spam on the emails. And then you had Wei Dai who tried to make B-Money, which is similar to the idea of Bitcoin, but did not have all these elements added to it to make it complete. And I guess the closest attempt was Nick Sabos, who had BitGold. And 90 percent of it was very similar to Satoshi Nakamoto's invention. Right. And he's not even mentioned in the white paper. But yeah. anyway, he brought us many innovations from cryptography all the way to, to the idea of running smart contracts 
And I know that in the early days of Ethereum, he was even participating and advising them and giving public talks. I, I guess this, this was in 2015 or something. You can still find a lecture on YouTube. Yeah, Vitalik always brings up uh, Nick all the time. And he thinks, I've heard him say that he thinks he's uh, Satoshi. But that would be his first guess. Yeah, that, that's also mine. Because why, why would not Satoshi mention Nick Sabo if he took so many ideas from him? So he mentions everybody else, but not Nick Sabo. Plus the whole scenario about going silent all throughout the time when that? Satoshi was active. Did you ever see the uh, interview with uh, uh, Nick and Tim Ferriss? There's a podcast and you hear uh, Nick talk about uh, BitGold. But he said, yeah, first we came up with uh, Bitcoin, or he goes, I'm sorry, BitGold. <laughs> like there's this whole like 30-second uh, like kind of clip where he's, he's talking to Ferris and uh, he literally says Bitcoin, but it means BitGold. And uh, Tim didn't catch him on it, but he corrects himself. And it's kind of like, wow, <laughs> like, is that like, I don't know, but um, it's definitely, I know there's been some kind of like actual, um, wasn't there some kind of like a uh, penmanship tied to him as well too? Uh, I think the CIA was able to run some study that was uh, covered, I guess, maybe in Wired or some tech magazine that was able to find out that uh, his, uh, the way he, the way he uh, wrote uh on the internet uh, was very uh, similar to what he was doing. I don't know if I have that right or not, but there's just a lot of different things that uh, like I that you brought that up. Podcast reveals anything. Maybe, Did you listen to it? it? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense for him to think about the invention which works and which he mentioned in his articles, as opposed to what he came up with prior to that. So it's the term that you use more generally. So sometimes I confuse in my mind, maybe it's because I'm not a native in English, but I say oh. lightning instead of Litecoin. Uh, oh, okay. They both have the light in their names, and sometimes I mess it up in my mind. And when I have to say uh. lightning on Litecoin, it's like mind-blowing. <laughs> it takes an extra effort. I, I have to think about it. Maybe that's what happened with him. I don't know. Just just some things that I'm just curious about his his uh his background and stuff in regards to He's space, one of the but... smartest guys I've ever oh, had the sure. chance to. Did you talk to him? Mm, a bit, but in tweets, like exchanging oh, okay. some ideas from time to time. I tried to message him twice. He doesn't respond to DMs. Yeah. Uh, I don't even try. So when I see that he doesn't reply, I say okay, just leave him alone. He wants. He's a cypherpunk. He likes privacy. So whatever it is that I'm asking him is just unimportant. He writes all these great articles. He has a brilliant mind and all, all this knowledge in so many fields. I feel in many ways, and I feel sorry that I mentioned Richard Hart in the same sentence, but Richard Hart <laughs> tries to be him and have, really? have oh, knowledge wow. from all these fields. The only difference is that one is overly public and tries to build a persona and a character. Yeah. 
Well, the other is trying to hide away as much as he can. And he only goes to, I think last year and this year, he went to a few conferences and made talks about, usually he likes to present public scalability as an important issue and how we can actually achieve it. The premise of scalability as a social element is that we live as humans in this world with limited resources and we actually have to find ways to coexist to share all the resources that we have and make sure that we are peaceful and that we get to create societies which allow for us to discover new means and maybe research projects that help us move on and maybe create something that our minds right now cannot even conceive. But for that, we need something, to trust each other. Something for everybody to thrive, right? And his something idea. that creates something for everybody to thrive together, right? Exactly. Is that what you do? Yeah. And he says that trust is the element which keeps us together and that trust scales very poorly. And yeah. you can only trust a small number of people at one time. And there are many other strangers with whom you have to interact. And one of the ways through which you trust people is money. As mm. it's an objective and the kind of object which everybody agrees that has value. And you trust in the value of that object. So if you want to do the trade, you have to trust the person for limited amount of time that they're going to be honest. And money is actually an element which helped us develop as a civilization and expand beyond what we see on our daily basis. It enabled some people to have the kind of lifestyle which allowed them to travel from town to town to sell products. They were yearly merchants bringing goods from other places and selling them. And this was essential to stepping out of our comfort zone before we had the internet. And now we need to re-understand and try to analyze once again what it is that makes us evolve as a civilization and adjust our understanding of trust accordingly to make sure that we move on. And this brief presentation that I made about public, or not public, social scalability is actually a bad presentation of Nick Sabo's ideas. So if you get it's to read the articles, they, they are so <laughs> much more in-depth and so revealing and mind-blowing. You're going to it's just... A, yeah, it, like you tell me about it right now, I'm just like, wow, like... It's such a different approach to figuring out the world's problems. And he's able to do that in his own way. And from what you describe right now, it almost seems like he's constructed something that uh, would probably work. I, I, does he say anything other than just money as a form of trust? And, uh, and oh, he, uh, he says a lot of stuff. He even has researches about the NASA projects. And sometimes I wonder, oh, how, how, how does he have time to read about that? 
even wow. has a nice comparison with NASA's moon landing and the exploration that the Chinese empire was doing around the same time when Portugal was exploring the world. Portugal was actually doing it for trade purposes and to seize resources and establish colonies, while China was doing it just for the vanity of the emperor. And each time a ship was going to Africa, for example, a ship from China, they would just ask everybody to praise the greatness of the Chinese emperor and spread the word about it. But it was never, it was never something practical. It was just propaganda, which maybe that the locals were not perceiving as such, were not really understanding. So it wasn't really working, but it was just the vanity. And he said that the moon landing from 1969 was just a vanity act, which didn't really help humanity find something useful. It was just about getting there and showing to the entire world that a man can actually land and walk on the moon. And that that was it. It was a lot of taxpayers' money which was spent on the project. But they didn't do much research. Right. I guess at the time it was just about the Cold War and trying to prove that you have the superior technology and you are the greater world power when the USSR were the first to send a man in space in 1960, it took the United States quite some time to catch up and develop a space program which was competitive, and I guess that was about it. But now I guess they got much more pragmatic with small... What's their... What do you call them in English? Uh, I can come up with the Armenian term. Satellites? Satellites, but those that collect rocks. Um, you're talking about like, um, hmm. the only thing that comes to mind right now, but up my head is just like voyagers. Or, yeah, voyagers, um, the ones that actually go beyond what we can see on telescopes and take pictures, oh, okay. and collect all yeah. sorts of min- minerals and maybe test the quality yeah. of the atmosphere and yeah, they're just basically all information. Yeah, just robots that they uh, send out there just to do, yeah, all the navigation and experiments on, on the device itself. That's and fascinating stuff. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't realize he did all of that. Um, I didn't realize he researched all that. That's fascinating. Yeah, he has a background in computer science, and he got into cryptography, and then he got into money and went all the way to the history of money and the first forms how people were making exchanges and what this actually means. As in, they were using colorful shells in the beginning. That's what he found. And they evolved all the way to gold, which was maybe the greatest of all discoveries as gold was and still is the kind of metal that you can melt into smaller pieces and is not wasteful is actually um, demanding in, t- in terms of manpower. It takes a lot of effort to mine and take gold out of mines. So when you have it, it's actually a sign that you made an effort as opposed to using something else which was easier to find. 
and people had much more were more willing to give you their maybe agriculture products or dairy products or gold as they knew that it it was not just shiny it was hard to get it was cars that was yeah. the whole point and when you look at bitcoin right now it has so many elements of that evolution of money and that actually figured out very well how people think and how i guess the innovation is not in the cryptography itself but in the way it solved this issue of how do you make people agree on a protocol how do you make them run the same program at the same time and not diverge and not argue and accept that it's more profitable to actually be part of the group than to try to attack. Yeah, I, I, I really think that, uh, you know, that these days, you know, with all the infighting, especially during this whole crypto winter, but I, I just feel like the infighting with uh, Bitcoin maximalists and, you know, all these other cryptocurrency camps is, uh, I don't know, it's just reached a threshold where it's just almost made me just like, um, just ignore it at this point. Um, just because uh, you know, I'm a firm believer that a lot of these projects, whether they, they went out or not in, in the next cycle or, you know, whether they uh, change the world or what are they, whether they like are able to accomplish what they are set out to accomplish, you know, there's going to be some that are going to surprise us. And um, I think to, to only think that Bitcoin is going to be the only project that uh, survives in long-term, it just doesn't make sense to me. I, I can see it surviving as a currency long-term, but to think it's going to be the only blockchain project or, you know, or whatever you want to call this next generation uh, of, of, uh, of the internet, Web3 or whatever, um, yeah, it's just not gonna, I just don't, I just don't see it, uh, being the only project that sustains or envelops everything or engulfs everything. It's just too, to me, it, to me, it's always going to be currency, I guess. Um, what do you think? Well, the maximalist point of view in this regard is that all these technologies, which happen to appear in altcoins will eventually end up in Bitcoin. And yeah. these altcoins are actually small-scale experiments to see how the technology works. And then they get to put it on a side chain or find workarounds to not hard fork the main chain and implement it. At this point, the most important aspect of it is to not try to impose anything. That's one of the approaches that the developers are using right now. And that's why we don't have full-scale SegWit adoption, even though it's convenient to be able to have bigger blocks when necessary. It's just not agreed upon by all the participants, and that's perfectly fine. They're going to have yeah. Schnorr signatures, which allow for greater scalability and more privacy. They're going to have some other upgrades, which enable more privacy. And not everybody is going to want to use them. 
but they want to maintain the compatibility of the network, make sure that the coins of those who have not upgraded are still on the same chain and can still be used. And Satoshi can come back at any point and still be able to claim his coins. That That's a good point, which has to remain <laughs> applicable. Whereas in the case of Ethereum, you have the whole network, which has to run the protocol upgrade, or else they're going to be part of a hard fork, which is not acknowledged by the Ethereum Foundation. So it's not going to be worth anything in the long term. They're yeah. centralized in decision-making. And what I don't like about it is how sometimes they, they just get together in a room and they decide, how about we delay that part and we establish that and we don't follow precisely the roadmap and we do this first and that part later. And they say, okay, let's do it. And then the whole network has to adapt. So as a protocol or as a world computer, what they like to call it, it's not really decentralized and it's hard for me to think of ways to which it's going to change. That's what the big yeah. problem is that you can't even run a node at this point and it got to the level where you need industrial type of hardware to be able to run a full node and synchronize with the rest of the network. You had all the yeah. ICOs and all these dApps, which were pretty bad, but they were deployed on the blockchain. And when you look at them now, they're not working anymore. Uh, I doubt any decentralized application has too many users. And maybe that the best kind of decentralized applications are the decentralized exchanges, which allow you to do quick swaps between different cryptocurrencies. And that's nice. But that also has to evolve some way and get better. And yeah, I, maybe it will get uh, better with Ethereum yeah. 2.0, but I, I don't think it's going to be as decentralized. And as long as there is a foundation to make decisions, then... Ah, it's difficult. Yeah, I, I, I come to mind. I come from the mindset of when I look at Ethereum, people look at it for its price and they want to chase the price down. And I don't, I don't see it that way. I don't look at the price and 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 feel like okay, this is going to dictate everything that I do. It. I'm sure Vitalik is not looking at that price right now and wondering, oh, how can I make. <laughs> How can I make it go to 20x or whatever? I'm sure that's not on his mind anymore. At this point, he's just trying to create some cool shit. Like, and and sometimes that requires, you know, centralized uh, group of people to to make those those strides in, in that direction. And I, I personally think that um, I personally think that there's a lot of developers out there. That just want to create on Ethereum. Like they, they want to be a part of that ecosystem. There's a reason why, you know, guys come out of college right now, you know, software devs or whatever, they're not looking at the iOS platform and wanting to create, you know, the next Flappy Bird. Like they, they want to create on Ethereum because it's cool. Like it's it's the it's the coolest thing in crypto when it comes to technology right now. Um 
A lot of people don't want to hear that. Bitcoin maximalists don't want to hear that. And I totally get it. But I really can see both sides. I, I can I can totally see the other side of things and look at it. And if you look at it as a currency, you're not going to be impressed by it. I, I, I don't look at it as a currency. I look at it as a, as a, as a project, as a blockchain project, as a continuing project. And this is where all the developers are going. Like at a certain point, um, at a certain point, Bitcoin just became too, um, just too important <laughs> in a way. You know, it, it it almost became its own worst enemy because it it became uh, worth too much, and 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 uh, and it's good. It's good that that happened. Like we needed. Uh, an OG, we needed something that would solidify the space that would keep it stable. And uh, Bitcoin is that, and it can be that. And um, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in the, in the current Bitcoin as a currency. Uh, yeah, it could have store value, but I, I look at it as a currency. But when it comes to Ethereum, I, I don't see any other project in, in the top 10 that gets people excited um, like Ethereum. Um, this is why we have this next wave. People like to think, Oh, it's ICOs and stuff like that. And it is to a certain extent, but it, it's more because of the scammers came on board. They saw an opportunity to make millions overnight, and they did. And they they learned about Ethereum, what they needed to learn. They picked the very best programmer they could find, the 10-mile radius, and, and they created you know, ICO token. Um, but uh, the people that I talk to, the people that want to create cool stuff like they're going to Ethereum because it's cool. And it brought in a wave of developers. It brought in a wave of technologists that would have never entered the space. If it wasn't for Ethereum. And I don't think uh, it gets enough credit for that. I'm not saying Ethereum is going to be worth $1,400, you know, here in the next year or anything like that. I'm not, I wouldn't predict that or even make a guess for that. But I will say that, Ethereum as a blockchain project is very important here in the short term. Like I look at something like EOS, you know, we can go back and forth on why it's so centralized, but it's another, it's another, you talk to some devs in the space and they're excited about EOS <laughs> because, you know, uh, these people that are coming uh, from that background, they don't mind centralization because they're used to it. Uh, we're used to working on, on parallel systems all day on our day jobs. But when we see something like Ethereum or EOS, uh, it doesn't necessarily uh, scare us off. But to a Bitcoin maximalist, uh, somebody who's not a technologist or maybe is a you know cypherpunk or has these ideals, uh, you know, stake to the ground. Yeah, I, I could totally see how they can look at that and be like, "Get away! <laughs> You're ruining the space." I, I could see it. I, I see it both ways. I really do. Um, I'm just of the mindset that there's a need for both of them. But I don't know. I'm definitely one of the few people that, that think that. I, I I don't look at any cryptocurrency project right now where I'm, I'm just disgusted by it. I mean, maybe Bitcoin SV, I would say, is downright disgusting <laughs> how it happened here in the top 10. But, um, you know, we researched Tether. That looks very shaky. Um I wouldn't. I wouldn't use it personally. Um, uh, one that I want to do some more research on is Tezos. I find it very fascinating how it's growing as a community right now, um, slowly but surely. 
it, it's growing and, and you're starting to see these little pop-ups everywhere. Like here in Austin, a Tezos meetup group has kind of spawned out of nowhere. And I'm like, that's interesting. That wasn't there, you know, two months ago. It's only been Ethereum meetups, meetup groups. But here's a Tezos meetup group showing up here in Austin. It's like, hmm, that's interesting, right? So it, it like these little things, these little pockets of community, I, I find very interesting because it tells you a sign of where the space is going and it, it shows you exactly uh, what's being worked on or what people are excited about. And you, you go to these meetups, Vlad, and, and you come to realize like these are just these are just kids coming out of college and they're excited about Ethereum or they're they're excited about EOS and they don't they can't explain why, but they are, you know. But yeah, but yeah. in this industry, I, I think something that Ethereum and EOS did very right is to finance independent groups of developers. And they, they had this budget. They received a lot of money. Ethereum was the first ever ICO. No, it wasn't the first ever ICO, but it was the biggest ICO of its time. And they had a lot of money to pay people who were interested in getting in and learning the programming language and working on their roadmap and their different projects. And right now you have sharding, you have the Raiden network, you have Plasma and all these other projects which are being worked on at the same time. And it's not clear which one will make it to the main chain first, but they are funding brilliant minds to come into the space and actually try to bring their input and leave their footprint on the protocol. And that's something which even the Bitcoiners admire. And I spoke to Giacomo Zucco, who is an Italian Bitcoiner who started the B Foundation last fall. And he told me that this is the part which Ethereum did best in terms of attracting developers and using their money to actually help small teams get involved. Whereas Bitcoin being so decentralized and relying on the community never really had a budget for PR and for development. All the developers are actually funded by the community and those who make donations to them. Or maybe that they got in so early that they don't need to work anymore, but they do it just because they like it and they want to protect their own Bitcoins that they own. And also EOS was the biggest ICO of 2018 and 2017. It took a whole year to raise the money and they, they got a lot of Ethereum. And even if they don't do anything, I think they can afford to be in the top 10 for another another couple of years just because they have so much money to keep themselves on top and sell their Ethereum tokens. But it, it makes sense for young graduates in computer science to get into these projects as they, they find the kind of job which is exciting both financially and in terms of feeling like they contribute to something new and exciting. Of course, they're not going to work or pursue jobs at Google or Apple or some kind of big corporation, which yeah. limits their potential. It's yeah, all about people are leaving in If you're very brilliant and you try 
be creative, then you're always going to look for the new industries and try to find a proper job to use all of your talents. And that's that can be found in both Ethereum and EOS and unfortunately not too much in Bitcoin as the circle of developers is pretty narrow and it's hard to get and you, you have to be very smart and you have to be able to support yourself in the first phase. And only then after you make a name for yourself and people actually respect you within the community, you're going to get donations from those who are interested. But in, in the case of projects which are more centralized in terms of management, if you come up with a good idea or you just seem willing to work on their ideas and improve upon them, then it's more likely for you to get a well-paying job. And I guess it brings a greater satisfaction. And about your point on Tezos, if you speak to the people from Crypto Insider, I guess you find a couple of very ardent proponents of Tezos. And I think that's what's so beautiful about our core group of journalists. It's that we have so many different opinions on projects. And mm -hmm. I'm more towards Bitcoin and like Litecoin. And yeah. I'm slightly skeptical towards Ethereum, but I try to educate myself about it. But then you have people who like Tezos and Prawn and all these new projects which came last year. And yeah. I think about it and say, okay, this, this is fascinating. At least we have this plurality of opinions and you can always turn to somebody and learn something new. And I guess somebody from Crypto Insider also has started writing for a website which he calls Tezos Insider, and it's all about Tezos. And he's trying to oh, wow. build a community around it. His name is Nathan. So he's very interested in this side of the business. And he thinks that baking is the new mining. And he will tell <laughs> you why it's such a brilliant innovation. Interesting. And I, need to, I need to read up on Tezos. That's one of my things that uh, I'm going to have to do here fairly soon. Um, just because I haven't checked into it. But you start seeing these pockets develop uh, around everywhere, like you're talking about Tezos Insider. That's interesting to me, and I keep seeing keep seeing more and more kind of community growing out. Um, I'm not sure if that's organic or if it's kind of where it's coming from because I haven't done the research on it. But um, when it comes from an organic place, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> it really is. It's so hard growing a community. So hard. But when you can grow one, it, 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 it's a beautiful thing because you have a lot of people working towards the same uh, goals. Um, and that, that doesn't have to be cryptocurrency goals or anything like that. I just mean like, you know, going out into your neighborhood and just being a part of the community that, that you're in there. Like most people don't realize this, but if you download, there's a meetup app on, on most devices, like iOS, Android, and whatever else there is. And, you can download a meetup app and you can have, um, you can attend different crypto crypto uh, meetups uh, in the in your area. Um, and you'd be surprised, you'll find some Bitcoin meetups, you'll find some Ethereum, 
Um, I just recently saw Tezos pop up. Um, and um, yeah, it, it just, it's really cool. And then you start hanging out with people in real life and you start realizing like, oh, wow, these, they're actually excited. And you learn, so like you said, you learn something about new about a project. And you're like, wow, they're actually excited about this, you know, and they tell you why and why they got into it. And you start realizing like, oh, wow, this might be something. Uh, Tron, when we, when we reviewed Tron, Tron was one where, you know, to me, I haven't looked at it since about a year now at this point, but uh, when I looked at it initially, there was all that kind of swirl going on about their, their white paper being plagiarized. Um, and then there was also Justin Sun, and he's notorious for, you know, being a marketeer. Um, and I think the only thing that I can look at Tron um, and see with clear eyes these days I don't know if you've noticed this, but once they built that conference at Nitron here in 2019 and they, they, they paid Coindesk and they paid uh, Cointelegraph and a couple other big media publications to come to that event because it was, it was, a, it was an event in San Francisco. Um, once they did that, they kind of got the, the green light from, <laughs> from uh, that media publication. And now they're, they're now on board with uh, rolling Tron stories. And to me, that's a very strong tell of how media publications are just as, uh, um, how do you say this, are, are just as uh, to blame for some of these projects that either are not what they say they are or, you know, they didn't do their due diligence and investigate further or they just turned the, turn the other way, you know. So I don't know if you've noticed stuff like that, but I've, I've, I've come to realize that uh, that happened here over the past month here in the space. Cause we look at the space. We look, I look at this thing every day. There's not nothing that I'm not seeing here show up, but um, that's why I like y'all site. Y'all, y'all clearly have uh, a lot of different people working on uh, a lot of different stuff. And um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's good. It's refreshing. Um, there needs to be a balance of sorts. Yeah, sometimes sure. we disagree, but at the same time, I trust their judgment. And it's not up to me to trust. I'm not the boss. I'm not running the business. But when I look at it and I actually say, you know, this guy is smart and he's looking into this project, which maybe I don't like, but I can at least read about it and educate myself and understand that there's something beyond my day-to-day -day readings and maybe that sometimes we get stuck in bubbles and only yeah that's the worst thing yeah only see some points of view and only hear some opinions and that that can be dangerous for our mental health and for it's sure. it's always useful to learn something new even though you disagree with it because you understand yeah. and you develop arguments and you begin to realize that there's something bigger than what you know yeah and, uh, and it's not can, even that should also apply to politics yeah it's not even yeah that that too like you know when it comes to politics i don't, I don't bring it up in the podcast because i'm not a politician <laughs> and i think if i told people my views on politics they would run away scared <laughs> because i don't like I'll, I'll bring it up now but i honestly think the world can run itself like i don't think we need these people with power to, to tell us what to do. I think at a certain time, maybe back in 
whatever late ages it was. Uh, but I think at this point, we, we all can take care of ourselves. Like we're all pretty adult about things. <laughs> so I, I just am not a believer in uh, centralized government at this point. I, I think just let everybody do their jobs. Like this thing can run on its own. <laughs> That's just what, how I feel. Now, when it comes to military and all that stuff, I have no idea because I don't know how any of that works. So this is why I don't bring up politics because I don't know how that stuff works. I just stick with my cryptocurrency lane. But yeah. Um, anything else you want to bring up or talk about? You know, I feel sorry that we started talking about Bitcoin hex <laughs> and we had that long discussion about it. And well, we in a way that we wasted to. time discussing something which is useless as opposed to cut it. presenting it ideas right. which can be useful to the audience to grow intellectually and if help anything, us exchange if ideas. If, if this is a selfish exchange and nobody's going to listen to us, I still feel like I've learned something new from you and I've heard different really? opinions. Oh, yeah. You're talking about all the Ethereum and the Tezos meetings and gather, gatherings there in texas so you have given yeah. me an insight that there is something beyond what i see on twitter and that's yeah, oh, for sure. to me. yeah yeah it, it, i think i'm so lucky I, I realize this and i'm grateful for it being here in austin because this is a growing thriving uh, tech community um people are, are vacating san francisco and they're heading to austin in droves um Every week here where I work at, um, we get applications from people, you know, trying to work here, you know, in Austin or work for us. Um, I, I do, I'm a system administrator by day. That's what I do during the day, like manage servers, all that kind of stuff. And a lot of people that I talk to, like at work, like there's maybe like four or five of us that are into cryptocurrency. Uh, everybody else just laughs at us. <laughs> uh all they know is Bitcoin. And these are tech guys. Like these are guys that, uh, you know, can, you know, set up, you know, uh, an entire server rack and uh, have it in four different offices spanning Houston, Dallas, uh, Corpus, uh, you know, and these are guys who are in the space and they think Bitcoin is uh, monopoly money. So this is this is why I, I don't think this is why I think my perspective is unique because most people don't and this is in Austin like this is biggest you know one of the biggest growing fastest growing tech spaces you know in the U.S. and most people don't realize like these are people I work with every day and they're very smart and they, they know their shit like so if they're not on board yet <laughs> who, who who probably should be on board right. Uh, we have a long way to go. And um, when I talk to the younger community of developers, I come to see that they're just excited about Ethereum. They think they think Bitcoin's cool, but they're excited about Ethereum. And uh, you go to conferences and stuff, and all you hear is Bitcoin, 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 Bitcoin. Um, but uh, people are excited about Ethereum, uh, and it's because it's it's a, it's onboarding all these new people, you know, that can come from tech backgrounds that necessarily would have never got into cryptocurrency because they, they think Bitcoin is monopoly money, which I, you know, I, I used to argue with them, <laughs> but at a certain point I stopped arguing with them and then Bitcoin went to 20,000 and all of a sudden people want to know how to buy Bitcoin. So let's go ask car how to buy Bitcoin. Um, but at that point, uh, of course I'm going to help them. But at the same time, it's, it, it's one of those things where like, 
you're bitten by what you see, or you're informed by what you see, but you're bitten by what you don't know. And uh, a lot of this stuff, you know, no matter how many times I, I look at it and reread it and study it, it just never sticks, right? Or, or it's just sometimes it's just so hard to, to gather all this information and come out with a concrete, um, like, argument or, or anything like that. And sometimes it's just best to let the people that uh, are in the know or uh, well-informed or uh, know what they're talking about discuss this stuff and just listen. And that's why I was more than happy to listen to you talk about Bitcoin and Litecoin and educate me on that because clearly you know a lot about uh, that subject. And oh, I, I don't think I know a lot. <laughs> I think you do. I do interviews yeah. with other people and I have my mind blown all the time. I learn yeah. something new and I, I try to understand their perspective and where they come from. And I yeah. realize that the beauty of this whole, I'm not sure if it's an industry or if it's a business, but this whole community is that yeah. we all bring our life experiences and we all bring our skills into the game. And the way we perceive something which is just code and is just computer science it's so different. At core, I am a political scientist. I went to university and uh, did political science and then comparative politics and political philosophy. So mm -hmm. none of this really has anything to do with the underlying code of Bitcoin. But when you look at the way the actors behave, you can think that they are politicians. And when you find out they're that there used to be a foundation for Bitcoin and it's still active, but it's not influential anymore, then you're going to realize that, hey, you have influencers in this field who matter more than the others. And it's them who actually create the narrative and it's them who maybe manipulate is a strong word, but according to their actions, you actually get the feeling of the market and understand where this is heading. And you actually mentioned that there are a lot of people interested in Ethereum, and it's thanks to these people that we had the 2017 bull run. Otherwise, okay. nobody in the West wakes up in bed and says, you know, except for the hardcore libertarians, but nobody except for them wakes up one morning and says, you know what I need in my life? sound money. I, I hate the money that I have in my pocket. Yeah. It's not good anymore. It's inflationary. I'm, I'm not going to buy gold. I'm not going to buy jewelry or something which like art, which yeah. is expected to go up in price. I'm going to buy something which has the most policies of sound money and has Gosh. the potential Speaking to Speaking my language now. So no, <laughs> nobody really does this. But the people who do this don't have access to Bitcoin. And that's a problem because you, yeah, have, I know. you yeah. have all these unfortunate citizens of the world who live in, live under regimes which oppress them and do not allow them to have financial freedom and all the liberties that we have from an economic point of view. And they are the ones who need Bitcoin, but they cannot acquire it. At the same time, we had many happy stories about people fleeing Venezuela. And it was thanks to the fact that they received some Bitcoin and were able to book a flight to the United States 
that they were able to actually get away from that oppressive regime. And that's impressive in itself, but we only have small scale examples. What we need is a larger adoption. And I guess you just gave me the idea to write an article about how Bitcoin supports maybe democracies, not necessarily the agenda of the United States of America in terms of foreign policy, because obviously nobody would want Venezuela to thrive when it's under embargo. Mm -hmm. But it's a way of bringing more financial freedom, which in itself is something which brings justice to the world. Yeah, most definitely. No politician can come to you and say, I'm going to take away your money. From now on, you're going to be poor. That's not going to happen anymore. And unless you resort to torture or something which makes you give away all the details about where you hold your cryptocurrencies, then we actually hold and stand a chance against governments to raise our voices and make our demands and say, from now on, I don't want you to do this and I want you to respect more of my rights and I want you to be more accountable with the tax money that I pay. And that, that's something very important because up to this point, we, we were just paying taxes without ever yeah. caring and it was just deducted from our income. I'm not sure if it's the same in the United States because you have to Yeah, it's still deducted. Like, I get deducted so much (laughs) in taxes. It's ridiculous. Sorry. What was that? If when you get employed for the first time, for example, you don't ask questions. You're you're not really wondering why is this amount of money going to the state from what I earn? You just take it for granted. You say this is the amount that I receive at the end of the month. And this is the one that I get to spend. So I don't care about everything else. But when you think about it, there's all this shady side of the government where it's funding. And when you think about the United States, you have the Guantanamo prisons and all the spying operations and the military, which sometimes you have entire Navy units just sailing on international waters, trying to just collect information about Chinese ships and all that sort of crazy stuff. And you have planes which fly above countries trying to detect radio signals or communications which cannot be intercepted by satellite. So you have all these operations about which you don't know that maybe you wouldn't really want to finance with your own money, but the government actually justifies by telling you that you're funding public education, healthcare, and bridges, and roads, and railroads, and everything that you agree on, but you get taxed actually for the stuff that otherwise you would not agree on. And I guess that's the kind of power that cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin give us. And it's it's interesting that you say that. Uh, totally agree on all those points. Like, I've come to the point now in my life where I realize that um, this podcast has helped me too to realize it. But I've come to the point in my life where I can't rely on my government anymore to do anything. I have to do it myself. Um, 
So when it comes to wanting to see something change in the world, I start with myself and I start with the people around me first. And I'm a big believer in that this year, like a big believer. Like if I want the world to be more friendly, I need, I need to be more friendly. Um, if I want the world to, you know, to um, pick up trash and not, you know, you know, leave a mess behind or, or uh, cut people off in traffic or, you know, I need to do these things. I, I need to be the change I want to see every day. If I, I if I, if I don't want to see people suffer on the streets, I have to be the one that says, hey, let me buy you something to eat here at this next gas stop. Like, I'll be right back. I need to do that. It's not responsibility. I don't, it's not even about the government at that point. It's just about being a great human being, right? Like being the best human being you can be. And I've come to the point where I realized that that's just the way I need to live my life going forward. And it took me a very long time to understand that because in my 20s, I was very selfish. And here in my, in my early 30s, I, I realized like, I really need to be the change that I want to see if I, if I really believe in what cryptocurrency can bring to the world. Because I, like, I used to be very, I used to look at the world very bleak, like, like we're not going to be around like here in the near future. But when I think of like what you just said about cryptocurrency and about Bitcoin, especially, I realize that we can check out, like we don't have to go with the way things are. We, we don't have to abide by anybody else's rules. And Bitcoin has that kind of power. And, um, you know, it's one of the reasons why I always say buy Bitcoin and save the world, because it, it truly can save the world if, if you really break it down like you did just now. No. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the whole point. You have a currency which is neutral from a political point of view. Nobody can confiscate it. Nobody has inflationary control over it. It's all run by code. And you have to trust the cryptography, which even, even I, even though I don't know code, but I can review the GitHub repository and see what's in there. And I can check every line of code. And a lot of people have done it. And one of the ideas which I have about Bitcoin is that Satoshi's wallet is the guarantee that the system works. Because if there was a backdoor or if there was a hack, then somebody would steal the 1 million Bitcoins and sell them on an exchange and then announce that it's over. That's a fair point. Yeah, that's interesting. But as long as it's there, we know that it's still working. And it's still yeah. safe. And if 1 million coins can be stored in one wallet, about which everybody knows, then we are a lot safer. I don't yeah. own even, I own less than one Bitcoin, to be honest. So yeah. I'm it's, it's one of those. Accumulate. Yeah, of course. It's one of those things where I think you're exactly right. That's true. I never thought of it that way. But yeah, I think having his wallet, you know, out in public, and having it never moved, um, it kind of it kind of shows that he's willing to fall on the sword. I mean, if you were going to sell, if he was going to ever sell, should have sold at twenty thousand. But that just proves to everybody paying attention that no, this isn't about selling for fiat. <laughs> and that's that's one thing what you know that drives me crazy about some of these big influencers in the space that are maximalists, or they quote unquote call themselves maximalists, but they're actually fiat maximalists, right? <laughs> like. They want Bitcoin to go up in value, but they don't necessarily want to pay with Bitcoin or, or they want to cash out to fiat because, you know, that's that's the cool thing to do or 
it, it, it's completely the opposite. Uh, I, I know everybody has to live their own way, but if you're a true, true Bitcoin maximalist, like they say they are, or they, they, would, um, they would most definitely pay with Bitcoin or accept Bitcoin. The only person that, I come, that comes to mind that is a crypto maximalist that I could think of is Ken Bozak. That guy lives and breathes crypto. Like he pays everything with crypto. And when he has to use fiat, he stamps his fiat with, with crypto on it. Guy has cryptocurrency tattoos all over. Like he's the only one in this space that I know for a fact because I've hung out with him in places. And this guy lives and breathes crypto, like through and through. And there's not many people like that. Um, so when I see somebody who's a Bitcoin maximalist, I'm like, how much of a maximalist are you? To what point? Because I've seen the tipping point with Ken. <laughs> you know, it's it's almost like it's it's cool these days for everybody to call themselves Bitcoin maximalists because they want to appear that they, um, you know, that they've been in the space for a while or or they uh, joined the bandwagon or something, but um, they don't want to actually follow through with what it means to be an actual maximalist. Yeah, but maximalist used to be a derogatory term, which was invented by Vitalik. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he wrote an article, I think, in 2014 yeah. to classify the different types of Bitcoiners and he called the hardcore ones maximalists. And after that, they got offended initially. And they said, this is just wrong and this is stupid. But some of them have embraced the label in an ironic way. And then yeah. the irony was gone with the new wave of people who came in. Yeah, and that's funny, right? People call themselves maximalists without knowing the origin of the term. <laughs> yeah. It's like... Yeah, the, yeah. It's like people call themselves idiots in the future and say, I'm an idiot. But in their slang, it means that they are actually knowledgeable and smart. And then yeah. somebody old comes to them and says, you know what idiot used to mean back in my day? Yeah. But it's like they yeah. say a year in crypto is like 10 years in real life. Yeah, dude, for real, right? Gosh, man. Like... Yeah, every day I feel like um, I look at this every day, and it almost, almost like uh, I, I definitely am appreciative because I've learned so much about the financial systems that I never had a clue before. Uh, I understand how the world works in much better ways than I ever knew. It's made me more financially sound. <laughs> it's actually, uh, you know, done great things to to me. Uh, just like being financially sound at this point in my life where it's maybe value saving. Um, and that's all because of Bitcoin, right? And other cryptocurrencies, but um, it's, yeah, it's amazing how you get in this for one reason and, you know, three years later, four years later, you're completely uh, night and day of where you were. Uh, yeah. I, I think I saw uh Heidi, she's of a blockchain chick. She said, uh, I forget what quote she did, but she, she basically said the same thing. Like you come in this, you, Bitcoin is that, is that sneak drug that you come into thinking you're going to get rich and then you come out the other side and realize that you're even poor or, or something like that, but more knowledgeable of how the world really works or something like that. I forget what that quote was, but it's true. Makes Definitely sense. True. But anyway, I think about 
30 minutes ago you wanted to end it and then I, had, oh. I added something else <laughs> and I can hear how your voice is cracking and you're getting more tired in your responses <laughs> and this is actually yeah, a paradox I mean, because the sun has shown in here and that's awesome I, I feel like yeah. I, I'm becoming more energetic and at the same time you are I, and I, I love know it. it's <laughs> past midnight where you live and you probably yeah, have work tomorrow 1.30 a.m.? No, I'm actually off on Saturdays and Sundays, which is good because it took me a really long time in my life to finally have weekends off. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show, Vlad. I really appreciate all the work you're doing in this space. Um, I'm going to put all your links in the show notes so people can follow you. Make sure you guys check out CryptoInsider.com and also check out Vlad. Follow him on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle, Richards? It's D Vlad Costa, T H E V L A D C O S T E A. I should change awesome. it to something shorter. But just so you know, this is going to be a bonus episode of the first season of the Bitcoin Takeover podcast. Yeah, tell us about so, that real quick. Tell us about what's what you got brewing with with all that stuff. I, I, I'm interested because I love listening to new Bitcoin, and you you're very knowledgeable. So tell me. So I just talk about. Bitcoin with random people I meet who are interesting and they have something to add about the political or economic or maybe philosophical or even anthropological dimension of Bitcoin. It's all about trying to find all these faucets of what this new invention stands for and how it can change the world that we live in. It's not really fixed by the rules of daily news and what we have right now in terms of consensus protocols, but more about what it can be and what our society is going to look like if we have a type of currency that nobody can control. It's just like gold, but it's digital and protected by cryptography. So that brings a lot of possibilities and a lot of limitations for the governments to oppress us. It gives us the kind of power that we never really had in face of entities which actually possess the entire military power and the means of communication and the means of information and everything that we are never, ever going to take over. But we get to have our independence from a financial point of view. And money makes the world go round. And at the end of the day, they're going to turn to us to finance their operations. And if we hold our funds and they cannot be confiscated, then we are going to have a greater power in the face of governments. I guess essentially that's the kind of topic which I discuss with different guests. But according to their backgrounds and their knowledge and their interests, we sidetrack and talk about different aspects and dimensions of the same discussion and it's fascinating to see how you can ask the same question <laughs> times and get a different answer even though you would expect yeah. to have some kind of similarity somewhere but it's not there and different people see the same project in different ways and that's the most fascinating, fascinating. part yeah and i'm sure going is. to launch the entire first season consisting of 10 canonical episodes and some bonus features, including this one next week, which is the second week of February. 
And it's all going to contain discussions which are pretty long. I spoke to some people and they told me that their podcasts are about 30 minutes long or they are edited and contain maybe breaks and commercials and stuff. I'm not going to have any of these, at least not in the first season. I haven't even proven anything to the world yet. Another aspect that I'm going to have is that I'm going to add an individual QR code to each participant who can donate Bitcoin. And half of what I make is going to go to the guest. So if anybody donates any Bitcoin for this particular discussion that we're having, then you're going to get half of it. Oh, dude. It's such a great idea. Why have I never thought of that? (laughs) It's a great way to make people promote it. So it incentivizes them to talk about it and try to make people listen. But it's also to reward the time that you, you, (laughs) you know, you spend precious time that you could be using to make some money right now. But you're not. You're doing this podcast. So why don't you get, if there's any money that is made from it, you deserve to get a portion of it. Because you have your input and you have brought many people to listen to this. And it's your time, it's your effort. And I I guess that's worth something. Some people may say otherwise, but... I'm I'm just a very giving person, just in general, of my time, of everything. So, um, yeah. um, And and plus, this is something I just love doing. (laughs) And uh, I don't think I'm special at all. I, I just love doing it and I would do it anyway. And uh, I just happen to live in the age of the internet so I can release it to everybody well, everybody else. And some people like what I do and some people don't. And cool if you do, cool if you don't. But um, we have we have our own Patreon because that's all there is right now, unfortunately. And they haven't banned me yet. So we'll stick with them and people can donate to our, you can be a patron if they want to. And uh, that's what pretty much so everything gets paid for um, with that and uh, with my earnings from work here in my day job. <laughs> so I'm grateful, grateful for the life I have. Very grateful. And we get to do what we like and that's what matters the most. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on our very first Thriller After Dark. I hope this is one of many. I feel like it is. Um, are you ever traveling to the U.S. or, or do you mostly stay in, in, in Europe? You know, the kind of money that I'm making right now, I guess I would have to save a month's worth to be oh, able wow. to get a plane ticket to the United States. And I have to get visas because it's much more difficult these days. But I would love to visit. And actually, you are from Dallas, Texas. Well, not Austin, Dallas, Texas. Austin. And yeah. we actually have, you know, it's due to the media, but we have this bad impression of Southerners with your accents and your cowboy hats. Oh, really? Your mannerisms. <laughs> and so Austin that, is the only place where that doesn't exist. In, in, South, in, in Texas, in the southern states, Austin is the only place. There's a couple other cities, but in Texas, the only cool place you're going to find is Austin. Uh, I guarantee it. But I actually have had very nice interactions with Southerners. They were very nice oh, and good. polite and knowledgeable. And even though some of them have like that strong accent, that it's still comprehensive. <laughs> still easier for me to talk to a Texan than it is to talk to somebody from Scotland or something. Interesting. 
Well, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, if you're ever in Austin, dude, we'll we'll hang out. Uh, you can you can stay here if you want. Uh, I have we have our own place here, so extra bedroom, whatever. And then yeah, man, I if, I want to get to Europe at some point, either this year uh, or or next year. Um, we're starting to get invited to some of the bigger uh, conferences um, in the space, which is good because. I get to say the same things that I say right now, but now in person <laughs> to, the, to the people that are making uh, some of the uh, biggest projects. And that's not going to happen forever because I think probably here in the next five to 10 years, I feel like uh, crypto is going to get so big that uh, people like me are going to get squashed out. Uh, but for right now, I, I get to have fun. So if I'm ever in, in Europe, in your neck of the woods, I definitely will hit you up. Sure, I would love to join you. So <laughs> I, I don't think I got your name. You told me the name of your show. Car. Car. C-A-R. Yeah. C-A-R. Is that the official name? C-A-R. C-A-R. Car. No, my, my real, and I, I only tell this story on the very first episode of the podcast, but I'll, I'll say it for you. Uh, my first name is Carlos, but okay. I, I, I go by car because... Growing up, um, a lot of my relatives didn't uh, speak English because they're, they're, they're either Mexican or they only speak Spanish. So they would say car, car. And so growing up, my friends started calling me car. My family calls me car. Um, didn't go in my whole life, either known as car or Los or C Los, but most of the time it's car. And uh, that's why I go by car. But it's simpler. It has one syllable. It's easy to pronounce, easy to remember. Yeah, and there's so many Carlos Gonzalez's out there that um, <laughs> at, this, at this point, it, it's such a common name uh, here in Texas, Carlos Gonzalez, that you'll find, you'll never find me. There's so many of us uh, and we all look alike. Uh, but if you, if you look for Car Gonzalez, uh, you'll definitely find me. So don't look for Car Gonzalez. <laughs> look for Carlos Gonzalez. Uh, yeah, but yeah, that's that's I tell that story in the very first episode because people often uh, say like, "Why do you call yourself that?" I'm like, "I don't call myself that. That's what I've always been called." Like, if you really want to know the story, go go listen to the first episode. That's why I tell. Okay. But, um, yeah, so people just call me Car. Now, when I go to conferences, it's like, "Hey, Car, Car, Car." And if I ever want to go to South by Southwest, I'm going Dude, to crash going at to your see. place. <laughs> Dude, hundred percent, you can crash at my place. Like, they, we actually got punched in, dude. This is like. This is how I know crypto is being taken seriously, Vlad, because we actually got punched in as a as a uh, cryptocurrency podcast for South by Southwest. And that has never happened before. Never happened before. Would have never happened. I've, I've been applying for the past two years at this point. This is going to be the third year. Finally got in. That's a $1,700 ticket. <laughs> like, never happened. And... Um, now I get to ask David Schwartz, the the, C, the CTO of Ripple, face to face, why his <laughs> Ripple project is very centralized. You see, so like that's why, like it's very, it's it's surprising to me that crypto has come so far. And when I see stuff like that, I'm like, wow, like it's finally, it's finally taking off. Like we're getting actually getting taken more seriously now. And um, that's why I'm very bullish on what you're doing with Crypto Insider and your work as. Yeah, it's growing, and uh, there's only going to be a few people, <laughs> I feel like right now, that are going to come out on the right side of crypto history, and it's the people that were like me and you that were speaking the truth about 
you know, scam projects like Bitcoin hacks and calling them out. And in 10 years, when they look back at our work, they're going to be like, no, that guy's been calling people out since the beginning, you know, this, and now he's working for this or, you know, it, it's, you play the long game and that's always a smart game to play. And most people are playing the short game. That's why I feel bad for Richard Hart. He's playing the short game. That's just not smart, but it's yeah. the games that Toshi taught us to play by incentivizing us to be honest players. Exactly. Yeah. We should all be grateful to this pseudonymous person with a Japanese name, whom I think is very American. And when I think, you think so? uh, when I think of Bitcoin, it's very, very American. It's like the culmination wow. of the whole cypherpunk movement, which is 100% American. You think so? Wow. I don't know. I'm not and sure. how he was the first person to receive a transaction, and he's American. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Um, that's interesting. Definitely something we have to dive into for our second act after dark. <laughs> but oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And I, uh, to all your to all your listeners out there, if you guys want to hear more of me ramble about stupidity. I promise that I, I keep a very concise format when it comes to uh, our shows, Thriller News, uh, Thriller Crypto, and Thriller Coin Talk. Uh, we, we strictly, I, I tell you every episode, it's not financial advice. Like um, I let you know when I'm accidentally either uh, spreading FUD. We have disclaimers all over the show. So uh, you know when you're getting fed uh, my line of BS. And this is why I want to create an After Dark. Because we don't have a show where I can just be uncensored, uncut, and um, can finally understand who I am as a person. So, oh, you yeah, should also add a, Sorry, you should also add a disclaimer to say that my opinions are my own and do not reflect whatever exactly. crypto insight you might think. I will add that at the front of the podcast. My, yeah, I will. I will just do that for you. Yeah, definitely. And for yourself, too, as well. <laughs> for both of us. I can't afford to be sued. <laughs> Me neither. And uh, I guess somebody <laughs> as narcissistic as Richard Hart would do it. Oh, so do you want to cut that out or no? Cut I'm one. totally cool cutting, cut, cutting the whole first Richard Hart part. We can cut that out. I, I or if you want me to leave such it, a I'll leave discussion. it. I'm not sure how coherent I was because I woke up <laughs> in the process. <laughs> So it was an entire process of, I was groggy at first and trying to figure out what I was trying to say, but now I'm more energetic and active and you're slowly fading and feeling sleepy, which I feel bad about. And I laugh when I get sleepy too. That's the funny thing. Yeah. So uh, do you want to leave it in or do you want to cut it? Either way, I'm cool with it. I don't care. We have spoken about it during the other part of the show. So I guess it makes sense to leave it. I, I okay. stand by my words. I hope I didn't say anything wrong. And if I did it, get facts wrong, I'm, I'm going to correct it. It's uncut. It's uncensored. I'm not apologizing for any of it. Uh, I will say, though, like Vlad said, this is not, you know, any way affiliated with Crypto Insider. Uh, this is no way affiliated with uh, my employer either. <laughs> and uh, this is not financial advice. But, uh, yeah. Anyways, I think that's it. All right. This has been a thriller after dark. See you next time. Bye. Okay, I'm going to cut it there. <laughs>